Welcome back to Principles in Practice. I am your host, Chris Heslip, and this week we are talking with my friend Rick Holiday on creating a learning culture within your organization. Rick is one of the six founders of North Point Ministries, where he leads the finance and operations teams. Keep listening as Rick shares about how having a learning culture is about maintaining the right balance between delegating responsibility and holding people accountable. We'll also hear from Rick about how they build their team to be a mix of entrepreneurs, technicians, and managers, and how successful teams need a balance of all three. Well, hey, everyone, welcome to uh, Principles in Practice. It is an incredible honor to have uh, my good friend and one of the uh, best leaders I've ever had the chance to uh, meet, uh, Rick Holiday, join us. Rick, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Chris. I look forward to hanging out with you for a bit. Absolutely. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about how you came to North Point. I mean, you were there from day one. Tell us a little bit of the story. Well, there were six of us that were on staff at uh, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, where Charles Stanley was until recently the lead pastor. He's now the pastor emeritus. And um, and us and a group of others were a, a new way of doing church that we were offered at uh, the North Campus, uh, which is now the, the home of First Baptist Atlanta. And we developed a team there. And then as things uh, moved uh, away from First Baptist Atlanta, we had the opportunity to start North Point. There were six of us that were uh, friends and co-workers that had been involved in, in what we did at the North Campus of First Baptist Atlanta that started uh, at, at North Point. Preeminent among those, obviously, is Andy Stanley, and then five of us that worked with him. But he's been the leader since the beginning. We've been the followers. and uh, But it's been a great team effort and then I've been in the role that I'm in, some version of it, CFO, COO, uh, since the beginning. My current title is uh, Executive Director of Central Services. And the way our, the, the quick and easy way our organization is organized is that there's one person that's responsible, Lane Jones, for all the campuses. And then I'm responsible for all the central team efforts of the organization. And both of us report to Andy. Fantastic. Um, and so back then, you got given kind of north the North Atlanta part. For those aren't, who aren't so familiar with Atlanta, was it was pretty much was it farmland back then? I mean, it wasn't what it is today. No, where we are, where our first campus is in Alpharetta. I grew up in Atlanta, and I'd never heard of Alpharetta. That's how small it was. And so, uh, as we look north, and Atlanta has grown predominantly northward, uh, the little outpost of Alpharetta, Georgia, which we had no idea what it would become. Uh, had a new mall being built in it, and we thought it would be a good place to gather. That was sort of the strategy back in that day. Everybody remembers malls, right? And uh, so we, we found a piece of land near there, and that was far enough away from First Baptist Atlanta's primary campus that everybody was happy. So that's how we ended up where we are. I love it. And uh, I mean, you have just an incredible culture at North Point. Uh, take us back to those early days did you set out to build a learning culture or was it something that just kind of happened? You know, what was the background to the culture that you built? I, I think the, the the basis of the learning culture that you've observed, and I do agree, we, we don't talk about it that much externally, but internally there always has been a desire to learn. Uh, even before North Point began, we used to sit around at the original House of Pancakes across from Piedmont Hospital and read books together. And we did what all young leaders would do. We we talked about what we would do if we were in charge, right? Just like our young leaders in our organization do. We have totally understand that. 
But buried in there was the desire to learn, to grow, to have community, to learn how to do things better. And we were learning even then. And so that was a natural outgrowth uh, into the new organization that we continued to learn together. And um, we've, we've always said if you, if, because the way we are wired is to be self-learners. And we, um, we, we all really want to grow and, and to not be passive in where we are. And um, so we've attracted a bunch of people that, that grow. And so what's interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, is we really put the, the learning onto the individual. And we say, look, we want you to learn. Now we're gonna provide you resources and coaching and all that sort of thing, but it's gotta be built into you to be, to be hungry to learn. But there's also got to be um, a, a desire to not be the expert, and the one that everybody salutes to and says, oh, they're doing it right. You know, part of a, a natural part of this is that you, you recognize that there are other people that are doing things that you need to learn from and that you're never, you've never arrived. Uh, our internal phrase is we're not there yet. And when somebody comes across as they've arrived and they're all that, they probably need to, to sit down and talk to someone or exit the organization. But that's just not our style. That, I mean, that approach puts a lot of pressure on to hiring the right people. And, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but how do you screen for that in the hiring process? Because it seems to be something that uh, if, if you're pushing a lot of the responsibility to the individual to take care of their own, you know, growth track and career development, then you have to have people who are naturally self-starters. How do you screen for it? Or how do, do you have any you know, hints on that type of approach? Our filters for hiring, Chris, are, we call them the four C's. Uh, they're bar, the three C's were originated elsewhere. We added one, but it's character, chemistry, culture, and uh, competence. And um, so and the question you're asking about is really a chemistry fit. And the way I often say it is, you know, we're going to hire people that we're going to work, that are going to be with sometimes more than our own families. And, um, and so we encourage people to to really figure out, can they get along with the person? Not are they a carbon copy of them or their team, but would you like to go to dinner with them? Would you like to hang out and go to a movie with them? You know, are they comfortable in their own skin and how do they fit with the rest of the team? And um, usually if you've started with a group of people that are self-learners and that are humble, you're not gonna hire an arrogant, know all that person. So it really is a chemistry fit thing for us. I love that. What's the goal of creating a learning culture? You know, is there like what, why, why have that as part of the organization? Well, I'd say the primary reason is we just want to create great leaders and, and we want, um, we recognize that we wanted to be poured into as young leaders and maybe we weren't poured into quite as much as we would prefer. And so we would like to make sure that we're pouring in it's good for our organization. Ultimately, it's good for the Big C Church and other organizations. And so, so that's the ultimate goal. Selfishly, um, if you want to attract great leaders, you better create an environment that they want to work in. And what we found is that really great leaders, they want to be in a learning environment where they're free to exercise their learning muscle and figure out what's next and execute on it and be trusted to execute on it. And so I feel like that's, that's the real benefit to our organization is we, we, we attract and we grow better people that are more capable of doing great things, whether it's in our ministry or elsewhere. I love that. Um, 
I think one of the things that's kind of embedded in this idea, right, is, and, and I've heard you say this about how you run your groups and even, you know, have uh, volunteers, is you see your job as a, a senior leader in the organization to empower your staff to do the job. And I think especially when we have small organizations, we think our job is to produce the outcomes. Talk a little bit about that approach, because even the way you structure your uh, ministries, I've heard um, people at North Point say, you know, our job as staff members is not to run the ministries, but to work with the uh, the volunteers to run the ministries. And there's a there's a very there's a big difference between the two. There is, and and you're exactly right. We we want to be in an environment where leaders feel like they can spread their wings and they can go do their thing with coaching, obviously, at oversight. They've got to be aligned missionally with what we're trying to do. And strategically. So there's there's some boundaries, but there's a lot of room for creativity within those boundaries. And so uh, we want to find people that don't just want, and, and I, you need some people in your organization to just do. Um, uh, in uh, the E-Myth Revisited, uh, Michael uh, Gerber talks about the fact that there's three types of, of people. There's, there's entrepreneurs, there's managers, and there's technicians. Well, oftentimes we fill our organizations with technicians who do, 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 but there's not a place for the entrepreneur who goes, yeah, but let's do it differently. And you can't have all entrepreneurs. You can't have all technicians. You can't have all managers. But if you can have a healthy blend of the three, then you end up with a highly functioning organization. And all three of those types, even though they're wired differently, can still be learners. They may learn how to do what they're doing better. They may learn how to lead better. They may learn how to run a process better, but that's still a learning exercise that we want everybody to, to develop and to, and, to, and to have in their, in their own personal arsenal. Yeah. And in order to do that, you've got to push more autonomy and decision-making down the organization to people closer to the action to make those you know, important decisions. And one of the, the things, um, I don't know if you know this, but actually my, my first experience with North Point uh, was in, I think it was 2015. And uh, I'd just come to the America, you know, Push Bay was tiny. We had, you know, 20 or 25 staff and we had no right to even be able to talk to North Point. And I was speaking with uh, someone who works for you, Jason. Um, and uh, somehow I got on his calendar and I took him through, you know, uh, what we did as an organization. Um, and he gave me, a, he was very gracious, gave me a lot of, you know, of his time um, and he, he said something that stuck with me. He said, Chris, I have the autonomy to make this decision. Uh, he said, at North Point, we get given a lot of rope to make these decisions, but also it's enough rope to hang yourself. And I thought, wow, that's, that is such a fascinating decision or, or approach for someone to make with even you know, a very small startup back then. So talk to us a little bit about that approach of giving people this autonomy to make well, I would think is really, really big decision. And I've, I've interacted with thousands of churches and I've never had one where someone said, I can make this decision unilaterally. Everyone's like, I've got to talk to my board. I've got to talk to eight other people in the, in the organization. And here you are in contrast saying, no, no, I can make this decision. I'm not going to, but I can. I, I mean, that seems to be almost radical. Well, it goes back to the type of person we want to attract, Chris, and somewhat it goes back to who we are as the original leaders of the organization. Um, I don't want to be micromanaged. I've never enjoyed being micromanaged. I'm not going to micromanage my team. But that means I have to hire people 
that are capable of making great decisions and have high native intelligence. They're curious. They, they under, they're missionally aligned with our organization. They know, even though Jason could have made that decision, he wouldn't have made it by himself. He would have gone back and, 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 and communicated it with several other people to make sure he wasn't missing something. But he did have the positional authority to make the, the decision. And that's, I think, what healthy leaders want. They just don't want to run amok and have no accountability. That's not healthy for anyone. The, the church landscape is littered with people that had no accountability, and we see where that leads. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't want to handcuff people and say, here's the little bit you can do, and here's the very narrow little window you can operate in, because then they'll just leave and go do their own thing. So somehow you have to find a balance between accountability and the ability to run your own program. And you have to have managers that are, I'm not, Jason's smarter than I am. He's more capable than I am. And I'm not threatened by Jason. I have a team member who I should, technically he works for me, but he's, he's a great leader and he doesn't really work for anybody. He works in our organization. I manage him. He, his, his statement that I love is, I'd rather lead a team full of stallions than a team full of mules. And I absolutely agree with that. I'd rather put up with the racehorse who wants to run off in the wrong direction, has tons of energy and capacity, and every once in a while I'd say, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back, instead of having to whip somebody to get them to do anything. It's just a much better use of organizational resources. Now, if you're insecure as a manager, it might be threatening, you know, because I've, I've got an organization full of people that can do my job better than me, but I got here first. And I have some embarrassing photos of Andy from college that are still helping me out. So, you know, I'm, I'm here. And, um, but I want to hire great people and they want to work with other great leaders. And fortunately, we found that right balance of accountability, intuitive, you know, leadership skills, high intelligence, self-learning, all those other attributes. And we've got an organization full of them, which is fantastic. Um, kind of a compliment when people hire somebody away from us because we created a leader that's really helpful for them. Don't want to lose anybody, but if that's what God has for them, okay. But it's, it, but it's complicating. At times, Chris, it's exhausting. But we feel like we've latched onto something that works well, at least for us. Whether it works for everyone else or not, I don't know. But it works well for us. Talk, talk about the flip side of that because the um... – this, the kind of uh, implied part is um, I've been given enough rope to hang myself, you know, implies that uh, there's an accountability for, you know, perhaps making the wrong decision that comes with that. There is, there is. And I, I tell my team, uh, I tell my team, look, you're, it's okay to make a mistake. Just don't make the same mistake twice. Learn from your mistakes. But yes, I mean, uh, I wrote down in my notes, you know, uh, that uh, one of the things we did was we started a Spanish service at our Alpharetta campus. Nothing wrong with Spanish services. Hope there's lots of Hispanics in our organization. It turns out our organization is in an area of town where we happen to have had a lot of native Spanish speakers who also wanted to um, uh, speak uh, more fluently in English and more be integrated into the life of our of our whole community and not pigeonholed into just a Spanish speaking service. Nothing wrong with Spanish speaking services at all. But this group of people that was leading this effort, they said we need a Spanish speaking service. We did it for about five or six weeks and you realize the people that were no longer attending were our leaders that spoke Spanish. And we're like, wait, you said we should do this. They said, yeah, but we don't wanna to go to a service that only speaks Spanish. We, we wanna be in somewhere where English is the predominant language. And we're like, 
then how are we going to attack attract Spanish speakers? You know, and so we just didn't flesh out the idea. We ran before we we should have. We expended some resources, but we also realized that we, you know, and, and that may be a terrible example, but that's one. Um, the other one that I thought about was we had an internal tool that a really talented um, staff member created, but it reflected their way of uh, doing one-on-ones with a with a lot very. Um, very task-oriented, very, lots of reminders built in. It reflected their style of leadership. And because of the position they were in, they were able to propagate this tool into the rest of the staff and have an expectation that everybody would use it. Well, it turns out that management style is one management style, but it's not everyone's management style. And so we spent a lot of resources on our digital team creating a tool that it turned out was not adopted by our own team because we didn't do the ne- that you know, the necessary step of Hey, is this tool going to resonate with all of our managers and work with them? And so it's, it's, it was a great idea. The Spanish service is a great idea. You got to go to the next step though, and make sure that it's going to be adopted and, 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 um, and, and uh, utilized by everyone that you want it to be. And that's sometimes we, we run a little too fast sometimes and execute on ideas before we've done all of our homework at times. At times, Chris, honestly, we, we go too slow and we miss some opportunities because we're so thorough in some areas. So it's finding the right balance. Well, I mean, uh, one of the things I think we talked about at a push face summit a couple of years ago was that you guys were trying zoom, uh, doing groups over zoom calls two years ago. So, I mean, it's off topic a little bit, but I mean, you were trying that. And so now in this global pandemic, I mean, you've got at least all of these learnings, that right. you can then say, well, we either know that, I don't know, what was the end of that? Did, did Zoom groups end up taking off? I mean, but at least, you know, you've tried something and learned from it, I'm guessing. Uh, what we've learned is that uh, Zoom, Zoom is a great tool to have in your belt in a group setting. But there is, as everybody knows by now, Zoom fatigue does set in. And uh, But if, if you are going to have an in-person, uh, for example, my wife and I lead a young married small group, just married small group. When somebody can't be there, oftentimes they say, hey, could you set the computer up or the iPad up and put it in a chair so that we can participate in group because we're going to be out of town, but we don't want to miss group. So it's a great tool in that environment. It's great if you can't meet at all. I'm very proud of our team. Uh, Within two weeks of the pandemic and us having to shut down, we had Zoom groups established for our children, for our adults, licenses coming out of our ears, and we were able to keep going uh, because we had experimented early on. Uh, we've been doing uh, video for a long time now. So for us, uh, flipping the switch from to all uh, video teaching versus in-person teaching, we were able to do that quickly. So we, we made that flip very quickly. And part of it's because we were ready because we had tried a bunch of things. But I'm sure there's some things that we should have tried that we missed. You can't try everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's take me back a little bit because, I mean, obviously you operate in, in a church environment and this whole model of giving people a lot of autonomy really relies on getting the right people in the team. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've heard, you know, senior leaders say often is, look, we just can't afford to get the kind of people, you know, oh, you know that's good for you to say, Rick. I mean, you're in North Point. You have so many resources. I mean, we're just a small little organization. We can't afford the kind of people that you can get. I mean, what do you say to people like that who say, you know, like there's just, there's this, um, You've got some some benefit that you've got additional resources that other organizations don't have. Uh, you know, honestly, Chris, I don't. 
I, I, I don't think that's a real an objection that has a lot of um, grounding behind it because there are people in every spectrum uh, income bracket that they're either naturally curious or they're not. And um, I've seen lots of people that are very successful, but they're so dogmatic. All they can do is tell other people what to do. They would not fit in our culture at all. I've seen, I've seen uh, operations guys that are, that are curious. You, on their break, they've got a book in their hands. They're taking advantage of all the learning opportunities they have. They want to better themselves. So I really don't think it's that. I think it comes back to hiring for the right people. And if you really do value this, you will find that they're out there. And, there are, and it's not an income thing. It's a, it's a did you prioritize? I think, I think the mistake that, that, that I see most church leaders make is they settle for hiring someone who can do the job, but they don't really look for someone who can make the job better and make the practices better and be naturally curious about why they're doing what they're doing. Um, when church leaders come to uh, us and they... Um, they have a measuring tape in their hand and they have a camera in their hand and they're taking pictures of what color everything is and how wide the stages are and all that. I'm like, well, that, that's great here. You can measure away. But honestly, I write them off right away. I, I, Cause I, I think you just want to know what we do, but what you've forgotten or maybe never realized is that what we do is born out of why we do it. And so the leader that comes to us and goes, Hey, why did you do your service that way? Why did you introduce that topic that way? Why is the, the environment scheduled this way, this way? Because there's a leader who's going to go, ah, I know how to take the why that North Point's proven works, go back, contextualize it, and make it work in Seattle or the Philippines or wherever it might be because they understood to ask why instead of what. And so when you find that's what I would be interviewing for, you know, not just people that can do the job. You can find people that can do the job. You want to find people that are curious and it's harder to manage those people, Chris. Okay. They ask questions and you find yourself going, just do what I said, but you dare not say that. Right. Because you don't want to be told that, you know? So, you know, I just don't be threatened by people that ask questions. That's actually a really good thing. As long as they do it respectfully and they want to make your organization better. I love that. Can you talk about what, what, uh, talk about your values and, and what role do they play in, in creating this kind of learning environment? Yeah, so uh, for us, um, from the very beginning, uh, we, we, we talked about what was super important to us. And, um, and once we got in to the process a couple of years, we realized we'd created a fairly unique environment. And so we went through an exercise where we said, and we've done an initial exercise about values, but we revisited it. And we said, hey, now that we've learned this, instead of just talking about a value system for the whole church, let's talk about a value system for our staff. What causes people to want to be here? What holds us all together? What are things, practices that if we stop doing, that would cause us to go, okay, this has just become a job. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, what, what are those core things that are, Super, super important. And we've gone through this exercise a couple of times, honestly, Chris. And it's, it's really long. You get lots of input and feedback from across your entire staff. But we were able to distill it down into our, our common, what we call them now is our common commitments. And I think this is where you're, what you're asking about is, um, you know, and, and by the way, just so you'll know, um, the, 
there's quite a bit of diversity of thought and even um, um, practical application of doctrine on our staff. So we make sure people understand that, you know, what's really core to us, and you hear us talk about it all the time, is the resurrection. And uh, there's lots of other ancillary issues, but we want people to agree on who the person of Jesus is, and that's who we're pointing people toward. And the resurrection is the critical event that causes us to cement our faith. And then, and obviously there's some other core things, but then there's a lot of things that a lot of churches focus on that we just allow to slide and have let people have different opinions. So I'm not talking about those things necessarily, but these are commitments to us. And so I'll just, if you, if you don't mind, if yeah, you've got a second, uh, we give out a little cube. There's six of them. We give out a little cube and it has these six things on it. And there's an accompanying question for each one. Uh, and I'll be glad to make this available to your audience if you want, you know, for them to uh, come up with their own version. Remember to ask uh, why, not what. Don't take our values and strap them on. Find out what's important to you and come up with your own questions. And maybe this is a, a, a clue for that. Uh, the first one for us is take it personally. How am I personally engaged in our mission and vision? Because if you get to where you're just doing the job of church, but you're not engaged in it personally, you're probably walking the walk. You're probably talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. Um, make it better. This is super important for us. Actually, I carry Newhoff's a little better. Uh, he does. He says, don't settle for mediocrity, uh, but make it better. What am I doing personally to help us improve organizationally? And um, so that's great for the process-oriented stuff. There are some people that, as one of my team members says, that we tend to shine cannonballs from time to time. You know, the purpose of the cannonballs is to knock a wall down. doesn't really matter how shiny it is. And so when you find yourself shining up cannonballs, you're like, well, maybe we've overdone it a little bit. And there's some overdoing it, but, but it causes us to make things better and excellence in our organization. Collaborate. Um, where am I leveraging the talent and skills of staff outside my primary team? In other words, reach outside of my team walls, go across the organization, figure out how to ask questions and invite uh, other ideas to come in. Because we find out when we we bring a, a digital person into a, a children's discussion, sometimes there's an insight or vice versa. There's an insight that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, replace ourselves. This has been core to us since the beginning. Who am I empowering? Always look for someone below me to replace what I'm doing. Now, some people are threatened by that and they feel like, you know, well, gosh, if I replace myself, where am I going to go? What we found is if you're capable of replacing yourself, you're capable of doing bigger things. And we've always, I don't know of anybody that's worked themselves out of a job. There's always been somewhere for them to go to do something bigger and better. Stay fit. Um, how am I taking care of myself spiritually, physically, relationally, financially, and emotionally? You know, because we want healthy people. And ever, all of us are challenged. But if, we're, if we are really focused on staying fit, then we find out that you're a better employee. And then the last one's not so much of a command as it is just a, a mindset, and it's remain open-handed. Uh, how do I manage the tension triggered by new ideas, innovation, and change? Um, and and, and it, it, sometimes if you feel yourself threatened, you're like, wait a second, why am I threatened by this new idea? Uh, how should I process? I should not be threatened. I should be curious. But remaining open-handed, uh, there's a lawyer, I forget who he is now, uh, but uh, his, his, his advice to his clients was, if you're in a, um, um, uh, a subpoena or something like that, put your hands underneath the conference table, open your palms up and put them on the bottom of the conference table, and then answer the question. There's something about your hands being open that calms you down and causes you not to be aggressive and defensive. So those are our six. There, there's probably six better ones. Um, 
If you borrow ours, just send us back your improvements so that we can look at them and see what we missed. <laughs> um, you mentioned the word curious several times. Uh, what, is, what does that mean? And how do you know if you, the people working for you are being curious? That's a great question. Um, I'd say you're curious if, if you find yourself going, why did you say that? And what were you thinking rather than always wanting to defend your position. You know, if, 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 if you never find yourself asking someone what they meant or, or how did they think of that, or if you don't recognize that there are other people that are smarter than you and there are people that are smarter than you, um, there's people smarter than, I guess there's one smartest person in the world. We just don't know who he or she is yet, but uh, everybody else is subservient to that. Maybe it's Bill Gates. Maybe we should ask Bill. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, but you should always find yourself going like Chris, I'm always fascinated by, you know, why you think the way you do, you're a great leader. You know, you, you've innovated. I remember when you came up with your uh, one question survey for uh, push pay, you know, and I'm like, that's brilliant. You know, and, and you drew all kinds of insights out of that. And so we've done a version of that, not nearly as elegant as yours, but you know, there's great ideas floating around there all over the place. So that's one of the reasons we read books. Uh, you know, one of the one of the uh, the digs we get is that we're too corporate because we read business books and talk about them. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I just think these business leaders happen to capture God's truth that He originally authored, and they put it into a business format. We're just reclaiming it for the gospel. And so I love reading reading Lencioni and 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 Gerber and Collins and. Buckingham and all them, because I think they have great insights. And they're not always all right, but there's a lot of great learning that you can have from that. And so that's, that's a part of being curious too. I love that. Let's double click on that a little bit, because um, I mean, from what I've heard and from Andy's podcast, it seems like, you know, you, you read a lot of books and, and obviously, you know, it's encouraged to, uh, for the whole team to read them and you, you kind of, you, you know, you give them out to people. Obviously it sounds like you buy them for people and you say, look, Hey, we're going to go through this, uh, you know, a chapter at a time together as a team and have discussions around it. Talk about that, the structure around it, you know, um, who selects the book, how often do you do it? Love to kind of double click on that some. Sure. Um, so generally speaking, the leader selects the book, but not always. And, um, and we encourage people as they read privately and personally, if they come across something, share it, tell us. And, and that's the way a lot of the ideas happen is a team members read and goes, wow, this would really benefit our whole team. I would say usually a book, we would read it because it either puts an idea in a new light that could be beneficial to us. It brings a new idea to the table, a new learning that we've never heard of before that has practical ministry implications. It could be something that's a course correction and, a, and something that we just need to refresh ourselves on. Um, and, and sometimes it's just we read because uh, we need to become, we need to focus on a, a spiritual aspect that we need to become more healthy in, and it's a challenge spiritually. So it could be anyone. I would say typically it's the leader. Um, and then I would say the way it practically works is um, almost everybody in our organization, one of the things we have to battle against, Chris, is we meet too often. So we're constantly carving back meetings. But what we found is that when we meet and we can talk about relational things like what's going on in your life and who, are we, who should, how should we be praying for you and learning together, it takes time. And so our organization's a bit messy and it's because it's highly relational. But um, that relational lubrication that you have 
sees us through some really difficult times when people don't see things exactly the same way. And there's many times we don't. So reading is one of those, and it gives us a common reference point. So uh, usually a team leader or someone the team leader appoints will walk us through a book, and they're the ones that have done the prep. They ask questions. Um, I always say that um, reading, a, doing a book discussion like that, whoever's leading the discussion is a bit like reading a, leading a difficult small group. You know, you've got people that talk too much, like me, and you have to tone them down. Then you've got people that just, you have to pry every word out of them. So you have to say, hey, Chris, come on, talk, talk. Tell me what you're thinking, you know. Uh, you have to be able to camp out on the points that are really salient. You have to cut the rabbit trails as short as possible, and there's always a rabbit trail. And, um, and then you have to actually say, hey, that's a point that we need some learning about. Can you come back next week, do some research and talk to us about that point? And so it's, a, it's an active learning thing. You somewhat know where you're going and how long it's going to take. But Chris, there have been times when books have taken us months to go through because they're so rich. And then there's been times we've abandoned books because they're like, okay, we really only want to read chapters two and seven. And that's okay. Because sometimes the other stuff's just not that practical. And then I'd say then it takes the leader, the discipline of the leader to say, okay, what points do we want to now implement in our organization or at least begin to implement? And then a re really successful read is a group comes back and starts to tell the rest of the organization, wow, you can't believe the Chris Heaslip book we just read. You've got to read it. And those books start to circulate through the whole organization and become common learning. So there's probably a dozen or so books that I would say are ones that have had significant influence on our organization over the years that now uh, when new people come into the organization and say, well, I want to learn, like, well, these should be on your reading list. And we'll even provide, we have a library, we'll provide them for them because it's super important for them to get on the same page with everybody else around the learnings we have around those books. I love that. We, we have the same, we actually have five books that we give every new hire. Now we're, you know, FedExing them out to them. Um, and so when they get their welcome packet, there's five books nicely kind of wrapped up there in a little package. Um, <clears throat> and then the other thing um, uh, that uh, I did a pushback and I do, we do it here at Leader as well, is we have something called the CEO Book Club. And so if you find a book that you think would be helpful in your job, you send us the Amazon link and we'll buy it for you. I just figure, look, if we can't get $20 of value from a book, then we're doing something wrong. And so, you know, the ROI can be 10,000 times on one good idea from $20 of, of cost. So Absolutely. I think everyone should adopt that. It's just, you know, the cost to benefit is just, you know, enormous. Yeah, we give, we have personal development budgets or staff development budgets, and we give people wide latitude in what to do with those uh, around learning exercises. And and so uh, th that's one of them. I never, I never have a problem when I'm approving expenses to see uh, people buying books because they're stretching their minds. I may not love what they're reading, but that's okay, you know, because they're, they're, I'm, it may turn out I need to read that book. Exactly. So talk to us, in addition to reading books, uh, other kind of growth tracks that you have, um, what's, the, uh, what's the, the most common ways that you want to have your leaders invest in their teams? Gosh. All right. So I'm going to answer the second part first. I don't know there is a most common way, Chris. I, I it's, it's, and maybe if, if there was somebody smarter leading this part of our organization, I could figure that out. But, but I can tell you that we've found that if we give enough tools and we, and we coach the managers well enough, 
that, that we can provide a path for almost everyone. And I'll settle in on, we've, we've recently, well, so let me, let me give you some of the ways and then we focus on something new that we're trying. Um, so some of the things we do, we do a daily, uh, we, we actually move someone into a position that's basically a staff culture development officer. And, um, and they, they create a staff Instagram post for every day that it might be a skill set, it might be a spiritual component, but there's something aimed at staff every day. Uh, we do lots of 360 interviews uh, so that people can get feedback from their teams. And then we, we pay coach, outside coaches, sometimes internal coaches, to interpret the results. We use WritePath as a personality tool. And we spend a lot of time talking about um, how strengths and weaknesses, group team interactions based on WritePath uh, profiles and explains to a lot of people. And you could use, you know, w- you know, whichever other one of the personality profiles you want. They all do that sort of thing. Right past the one we've settled on. We have staff coaches. We have people that are older and wiser that um, we basically say, hey, sometimes you're going to have a problem with your manager or somebody on your team and you can't talk to them about it. Here's somebody inside the organization, but out of your direct line of reporting, you can go talk to anonymously and, and just figure out, is this normal? And do I need, or is this just something I need to talk about and get it off my chest? So we, we do that. And those people get utilized a lot. We, we are very intentional about our new uh, employee orientation. We call the program Align. So we take the stuff that was most core to our DNA and our senior staff talks at it. I've had to move it online because of uh, COVID. But um, so that's uh, uh, this time it was three two-hour sessions. Normally it's a day or a day and a half of concentrated learning. Uh, I've already mentioned development budgets. We have six all-staff meetings that everybody comes to every year. We have this guy you may have heard of named Andy Stanley that teaches at those. He's pretty good. Y'all listen to him sometime. Um, Then each campus has uh, two or three monthly campus or in my team staff meetings. And there's sometimes a development component of those. Those, I'd say once once out of those three, there's a development component. Um, We pay for seminary training for people that are on a pastoral track uh, and talk about a learning experience. There's one for you. Uh, and development. Um, we even provide for outside counseling, Chris, when somebody gets themselves, they're just emotionally, they need help and they want to, they need to have a confidential conversation to be, to get healthy. We, we do that. And there's some stuff I'm missing. Uh, the one that I didn't mention in that role is, is we've now created something we call the NPM leadership, leadership track. And there's basically, uh, after all these years, we finally figured out, okay, here's the most common stuff. And so there's seven one-hour courses that, and these are all done by video, that um, you can learn about management skills, about, uh, about uh, or developing as a manager, about how to lead a team and how to lead yourself. And we let people sign up for those tracks. Um, uh, and we're doing those now three times a year. And I think there's a cap of, and there's a learning community attached to each one as well. And, um, and so that's probably the most um, uh, organized, you know, direct way that we've, and, and, and toward those three uh, components. So we do, I don't know, some people say we overdo it, Chris, but we really do value development. And, and that's what I, but, but to take any advantage of any of those, you need to desire to learn and grow yourself. And then we've given you lots of opportunities to exercise that muscle. Maybe this is a, a different, difficult question, but um, have you ever thought about how to track the ROI on that? I mean, you know, there's one part of it that says you should do this because, you know, this is our culture and we value learning. So therefore we're going to do it anyway. But 
I don't know if you've ever thought about, you know, hey, how do we track this? You know, are we overdoing it or underdoing it? Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that? I have. I mean, that's the way I'm wired, Chris. That's the way you're wired. I haven't been able. It's so subjective. I have not been able to figure out a way. I just know that when we invest in people, um, they, they come back and there, there are, we get feedback from their team members and from their managers. And we're like any, anybody else. You see people that are improving and growing. They hit a bump and we help them get past it. And all of a sudden they're a much better leader. And then we have people that they go through everything we can throw at them and they don't get any better. But I have not figured out a way to create an ROI on it. There probably is a way. Um, maybe that's what people management software should do is create an <laughs> ROI so you can tell the effectiveness of it. I, yeah, that's a great question. And no, uh, we have not. Yeah, no, I think it's hard. I mean, um, Andy Grove talks about in his uh, one of his books, he was the CEO of Intel. He had this kind of framework that even if you could get someone to be 1% better, you know, over the lifetime of that employee, the return basically becomes almost as close to infinite as you can get. So I think that hypothetically it's understandable, but it's just in practice, it's very hard to track. Uh, and ultimately all you can do is say, you know, did the employee feel like they were growing as part of it um, is as close as we can get. Um, I, I don't know if this answers your question or not, but one thing we do tell all of our employees when they come on board is we want this to be the best job that you've ever had. That's our goal to you. We're not saying we will be the best job you ever had. We just want to be the best job you've ever had. So we do an exit interview with every single person that's left and we ask them, did we fulfill on our promise? And even with people that have left, sometimes not under the great circumstances, um, the majority of them say, yes, you have created the best. And, and people, you know, they leave, people leave our organizations, you know, just like they leave any. Um, and I, I like to believe that people stay. And we, by the way, we do a three month and a, and a 12 month uh, review that goes directly back to Andy's office and ask them very specific questions about how they're, how they're enjoying the role, were they equipped to do the role, what feedback do they have. So we're getting feedback from people, and it's pretty candid. Uh, one thing, when you hire leaders, they tell you what they think, and uh, which is good. And so I think we could probably use some of that feedback, Chris, to determine whether or not we're making progress in this area, especially over time. I love that. Do you have any software that helps to manage any of the process uh, or that helps facilitate this employee growth kind of a, approach? Sadly, no, Chris. I'd love to tell you that we did. Um, we have the standard tools that, you know, tell us where everybody is and what they've done. But, but I don't know that we have anything that, that we've become comfortable with that really points people, uh, you know, and, and says, okay, here's the track you're going to follow. It's, it's still very organic, which is probably, you know, we, we, that's something we could probably do better, honestly. Cool. As we get kind of towards the end, Rick, I'd love to ask you if you have any just generic advice. Imagine someone who's just starting a new organization um, and they say, you know, I really uh, would love to create this type of learning and, and growth culture that you have at North Point. You know, can you give, give those folks some advice on how they should think about creating that culture from, from the ground up? Yeah. Um, well, you said the magic word already. You said you have someone who wants to do it. They recognize there's a need and they want to implement uh, this kind of culture. Um, hopefully that person's the positional leader in the organization because it's always easiest if the, if the head of the organization is the vision cast for this. Uh, if it's not them, they, you certainly need someone that has influence with the senior leader. 
or it can run their team in that way and has the autonomy to do so. Um, I've always said that Andy's primary gift in our organization is he's the guy that climbs up in the crow's nest of the ship and he looks out over the horizon to see what's coming and yells down what's going on down below to make sure that you know if there's rocks ahead or there's clear sailing or there's a storm. And then ultimately, you know, that person's the captain of the ship. They can then say, okay, we need to get ready. We need to do this. We need to do that. So to me, you've got to have a vision caster for this process in the organization because it's a long-term process. Uh, we've been doing it for 25 years and we're not there yet. So it's not something you strap on for six months ago. There, we've done. We're done. It's something that you've got to really put your nose to the grindstone and keep doing. Um, and then you need to have an honest conversation about your organization. Um, I think you heard me say a little bit ago, uh, and when we did our, our uh, culture and our, our values uh, decision, it was it boiled down to, hey, what if, what are the things that if we stop doing, we'd all quit? Because we can we can get a paycheck anywhere. You know, it's like what is really unique to our organization, and how do we guard that thing? I think that process of figuring out what that is, and then how to su to supplement that and to grow that and to become a better organization. Um, is super, super important. And it needs to trickle down into the entire organization and feedback up. I think one of the important parts of that process was we got feedback from everybody in the organization and the, or the, they had the opportunity to give us feedback so that uh, we really heard from all parts of the organization before we made our final call on what, our, what we wanted to stick with our values. And then, and then you've got to come up with a plan, you know, and Fortunately, there's lots of great organizations like yours, like ours, some other great churches, some other great organizations. Um, even, you know, go look at the tech industry, the Googles and the Apples of the world. They, they do a lot of really good things with how they develop their teams and come up with a plan. And if you need to copy somebody's to start, great, but be willing to tailor it as you look at the results and find out, are we really creating the appetite that we want? And I think it'll ultimately come down to, and this will be tough, you're going to have some people that adopt that and they just thrive in that environment. And you're going to have some other people that you can tell this is not their cup of tea. And those are people you're ultimately going to have to have some difficult conversations with. Uh, and, and because you really need this to be an all skate, if at all possible. So there's some thoughts. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's other ways to look at it as well, but, um, but, but that's how I would advise someone if they came to me saying, Here's just some basic things to start thinking about. I love that. One last question on this before we move to the, some of the quick fire questions. Do you have any advice? You know, did you ever find someone maybe on the leadership team who just didn't buy into this approach or, you know, and, and maybe, you know, if, if that maybe not your organization, but let's imagine, you know, uh, we're at a smaller, a smaller church and we have someone on the leadership team who just is, you know, resistant or suspicious of thinking about this kind of culture change, like what would you do in this hypothetical situation? Well, the first thing I do is I would honestly, and I, I use the word confront, but I mean it in love that person is say, Hey, I noticed that this seems to be a problem for you. You know, this, this, you don't seem to, to resonate with this topic. Like, like some of the other team members do. Um, and I would have that conversation. Um, it's interesting. Um, Lencioni actually wrote a book about this. Ideal team player would be a great exercise to go through because it talks about people that don't quite fit in with the team. And, you know, ultimately, Chris, you've led organizations. You know, you, you, people have to pivot toward the way the leadership wants to go. And our organizations, not, no organization is the best place for everyone. 
you know, you really need to find a culture that fits you best. And so if you have to have a difficult conversation ultimately with someone, we use the euphemism, we free their future, but it's really true. You know, you really free someone to find another organization they align with better and you fill that hole with someone who aligns with you. And if you get a team full of people that are all going in the same direction, it's a powerful thing. I often talk about, uh, we have people that come on our team and they leave and they think, they take for granted the organizational momentum that we have. And they, and they don't realize that they're riding on the SS North Point. And they get in their own kayak and they're rowing by themselves and they're watching this big old ship just vanish into the distance. And it's because you've got all these team members that are pulling in the same direction. It's a very powerful thing. And you also sometimes take it for granted. And so I would just encourage people to get as many people on the team pulling together and ultimately everyone pulling together. And I think that's a huge win for your organization. I don't know if that answered your question or not. It does. No, I mean, one of the things, um, uh, and you can't do it every time, but you know, if you have a, a team who, you know, people aren't a team player and you, you select a book to read and you say, Hey, we're going to read this book, the ideal team player. <laughs> then you can really bring some of those issues to the surface. And the good thing is it's not you saying it. It's not, hey, you know, Chris is saying this or Rick is saying this. Oh, it's Lencioni. I mean, and he, look, he knows what he's talking about. So like, we should listen to him. Now you can't do it all the time because then, uh, you know, people get to, well, you know, Chris or Rick chose this book because they understand that someone on our team is not living up to this. But, you know, once every now and then you can do that. And that's, I find that as a really helpful approach of using a book to, create a conversation around something like that. Right. And, and as a leader, Chris, I think we both know the more we admit our own faults and our own need to grow, the more it empowers the rest of the team to go, oh, I don't have to hide out. I can be honest about my strengths, my abilities, where I need help, because Chris was honest about his. And that's just that's just leadership by example, right? And and that's and it's it's humility in action and people follow and resonate with that. I love that. Okay, five questions, Rick, the quickfire round. Uh, so the first question is, what is the best book that you've ever read, apart from the Bible? Uh, the one I always keep coming back to is an oldie but a goodie. It's the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. It just resonates on so many levels. So read it. Yeah, and sharpen the sore is what we're talking about here today. Um, okay, number two, if you could use one word to describe your leadership style, what would it be? Oh, I didn't read the quick questions in advance, Chris. Uh, uh, um, gosh, a delegator. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I, I really, I, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't have a great one for that. How do you answer that? I hope it's humble, but how do you say you're humble and, and say it without being non-humble? You can say empowering. <laughs> All right, empowering. I'll say empowering. <laughs> so, 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 this is the same thing, right? Like it's, you know, giving people True. the latitude to do it. All right, sorry. Okay, third one. What is your biggest distraction working from home? Oh, sports on TV. The Masters is on right now, and how can I not watch? <laughs> Well, I'm sorry for dragging you away for a little bit. Um, uh, okay, number number four, uh, tell us about a time when someone believed in you uh, when really they shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is, I can give, give a little bit of a story. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, so when I was working at First Baptist Atlanta, there was a guy named Sid Hopkins. It was the administrator. And I went to him and I said, hey, Sid, um, I'm finished with undergrad school. I majored in finance and I'm ready to go to grad school. And I'm either going to major in accounting or uh, information systems. And um, Sid looked, this was way back in the early 80s. And Sid looked at me and he said, Rick, um, there's lots of people in the church that understand the use of finances, but there's not very many that understand the use of technology. He said, I think I'd go that route. I did. A year later, he hired me to run their fledgling IT department. And that really turned everything on its head. He had no business hiring me to do that role. I was still in school, but he did. He believed in me. And then he gave me a chance. I spent uh, I spent a lot of money on a, a white paper. I, I, I created a white paper convincing them to spend a lot of money to bring something in that was outsourced that saved them tons of money and changed the whole trajectory of the, the operational side of the organization. And I never would have done it if Sid hadn't given me a chance. I love that. One thing you know, I love saying to people is, you know, many years from now, uh, we're going to forget a lot of the victories we had. We're going to forget, you know, uh, a lot of the, the successes, but what we're going to remember is the times that people believed in us. You know, I think that it's so important. It's one of the most underrated uh, aspects of leadership is just believing in people and telling someone, you know, I believe in you and, and look, maybe you're not qualified right now, but I believe that you can, you know, learn and grow in, in, and grow into the role. And I just think that, you know, someone like that believing in you can change the whole trajectory of your, your life and your career. Which goes back to your empowering word, which is the right word that I find myself wanting to do because I want to give other people that, you know, the same opportunities that I had. And, but I do it after I've filtered them. They're highly intelligent. They're learning. They're, they're, they're cultural fits with our organization. So it's like, okay, it's time to give you a whole plate of responsibility. And oftentimes they're like, uh, 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 you know, and I'm like, no, no, you can do this. I'll be here. I'll coach you, but you're good. Jason's that. Brenda, my HR director, is that. Gary, my accounting director, is that. I mean, we have loads of great people that, 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 that produce way beyond my capacity to produce. And we're a better organization because they had a chance. Mm, mm, I love that. Okay, the last question here. Uh, you know, you've obviously had a front row seat to see North Point grow over the years. But also, you know, you've had a chance to interact with some truly world-class leaders uh, what's something that you, or a couple of characteristics that you've seen that those leaders exhibit uh, that, that you could share with us? You know, the, the biggest one that comes to mind immediately is um, that they love people. You know, the, the leaders that I know that have knocked my socks off, they, they know a lot of content. But the ones that really stay with me long term are the ones that genuinely, genuinely love and care about people. And uh, they demonstrate that personally. And then the, the other thing is humility. Um, I've done this, I'm 61. I've done this a long time. I've been in ministry, honestly, Chris, since I was 17 years old. And I've seen a lot of people that are false and they, they make a big show about themselves, but you, you, it doesn't take long to be around them. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to be like you. But when you get to know someone and the more you get to know them, the more you want to be like them, that's a big deal. And so, and there are people like that out there, despite the fact the media obsesses around the ones that fall. There's a lot of people that are going to finish the race well. And I want to hang out with those people. I love that. Well, Rick, this has been an absolute uh, pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time and sharing uh, your experiences with us. I really appreciate it. Well, Chris, thank you for creating great organizations. Even more, thank you for being such a great friend. You're a quality person and I enjoy every interaction I have with you. 
Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time on Principles in Practice. Don't forget to check out the links in the description below for more information about Rick this week. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button on your way down there and to keep up with all of our latest content. That's it for this episode and we'll see you again next week.